welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. I'm Colleen Pilar, and today we're going to be talking about honesty. We've all heard the phrase, honesty is the best policy. It's true that honesty increases trust, cooperation, and dependability. But honesty can be tough, too. Sometimes it's hard to speak your truth, to tell someone when they've hurt your feelings, to make waves when you see a problem. You've got to draw on your inner strength in those times to give you the courage to speak up and say what needs to be said. And the flip side of honesty is learning to share your thoughts in a way that is respectful and supportive of others, developing tact as a way of sharing truth in the kindest possible way. That's something that we all work on for our whole lives. My guest today is Sharon Garland. Sharon has been a licensed veterinary technician for 41 years. Yeah, 41. She works in private practice and on a large spay-neuter program in New York. In addition, she owns a small sheep farm and teaches sheepdog herding. She's a busy lady. As you listen, ask yourself what your thoughts are about honesty. You're sure to get some new ideas from today's episode. Enjoy! So Sharon, I'm so excited that you're going to talk to me today about honesty, because I think that's a really important trait. And when you and I were talking before, you said you're honest to a fault. And I said, huh, me too. So clearly kindred spirits. What do you think makes you so honest? That's a good question. What makes me so honest? They're just the way that I was grown up. I mean, my parents expected me to be honest. Whether they were always honest with me, I don't know. But that was an expectation that I had. I grew up as a Girl Scout, so <laughs> they're trustworthy and kind. <laughs> so the, all of those influences, you know, have passed on to all of my life. Um, again, for the for the good sometimes, yes. <laughs> yes, for the good sometimes, sometimes not. When I was very small, my mother would tell people, don't ask Colleen for her opinion unless you really want it. <laughs> and it was that I was the one known to tell you exactly what I thought, whereas my sisters were the ones to tell you, the nice thing to say. So over the years, I had to learn to temper that a little bit. And I think I actually went too far for a while where I, I became maybe too inhibited to not speak my truth at times. Um, and so it's all a balancing act, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, my, my parents were the seen and not heard, but when they wanted to hear from you, they wanted to know what you really thought. Mm-hmm. So I have Again, taking that maybe a little bit too far at times, but that's sort of where the root of all that comes from, I believe. So, yeah. Well, and in all of your years working in a veterinary practice, 41 years, that's incredible. Um, how would you say the trade of honesty has played out there? I think it has really been able to enhance my relationship with people, not primarily with clients, but with um, fellow staff. And when I was a manager, I really think that helped mold the mold us all together because they I didn't I didn't have hidden agendas and mm-hmm. I don't in my interpersonal relationships in general because I'm so honest. Yeah, I'm always surprised to discover a hidden agenda. Like it every time yeah. takes me completely by surprise. Oh, oh, there was another way to look at that. I I was just looking at the surface level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that continues to surprise me when that happens. I mean, I should be over that by now. <laughs> yeah. But I think that too, but I'm, yeah, I'm continuing to be surprised by it too. <laughs> I think there's a, a real advantage to that, particularly as a manager, 
when people know that there is no hidden agenda. What I say is what I mean, and this is what's going on. So when you were managing people, how did you see that playing out? Well, I think that when I was managing people, when I would first interview people and you know talk to people that were interested in jobs or volunteers or stuff, volunteering, that you know, I, I didn't sugarcoat things. I mean, this is sometimes a dirty business. And, you know, if you're going to be here, you know, sometimes you're going to get poop on your hands or you're going to have blood over you or, you know, you're going to be dealing with difficult clients. And so I didn't, again, I didn't sugarcoat that. At the same time, when I would talk to people, if I had to do some disciplinary stuff, the hardest thing for me was people would take it personally. Mm-hmm. And it, and I would, I now have to say this, this is not personal. This is about the job. Right. Um, and I, right now, currently I work with volunteers in a shelter outreach program where we do spays and neuters and they are all volunteers and they are there, the goodness of their heart, but it is really a assembly line thing. And if they don't get their butts in gear, then it slows the whole process down, which is not for the benefit of the humans or the animals. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself and remind people that if I, you know, say, could you get the animal now? It is not because I'm upset with you personally. It's upset that you're not taking that time into into context. And years ago, I had someone that is a very, very dear friend. And it, she said it took her about two years for her to not take my criticism personally. Part of that was because I have a pretty straightforward delivery. But that once she figured out it wasn't personal, we, we're very dear friends now. And she works as a manager in another practice. So, you know, she heard the pearls of wisdom she took from that was, it's really not personal. So, mm-hmm. My husband says that a lot. And I have always struggled with that piece in a business perspective, in in a mm-hmm. marriage, it's all personal. <laughs> um, right, right, right. But, you know, at work, he'll say that he'll be providing feedback to someone and he's so surprised when they take it personally. And I'm like, oh, I just walk around taking things personally in every moment of my day. But but there is a delineation at times that it's about the behavior and what will make this flow more smoothly and make the team be more effective. And that's not a, a judgment of the character of the person you're speaking to, but about the flow and the process and how we can make things better. Right. Right. And I and I think with some of the generation that's come up that's now working is that they are more sensitive that it is personal because they're not used to or do not expect criticism. So I have to lead with, this is not personal. However, you know, we need to accomplish this or this Mm -hmm. is the way that we do things. And that's in the private practice as well as in the stay and neuter group that I work with is that I've had to, Maybe that's because I'm a little more mature. I don't know. But had to lead with that rather than, you know, watch their reactions where they, I can see they're taking it personally. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning. <laughs> it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? We're oh always, God, yeah. always learning. <laughs> yes. Which is good. Which is good. It is yes, good. I'm always open to that. Yeah. It yeah. is good. And, and I think that... For situations like this, it can be really good to lead with the disclaimer that this isn't personal. This is something I just need to tell you. Because often 
a reason for lying is to avoid hurting someone's feelings or to be polite. And we we want to know, we want people to know that we are going to be honest and direct with them and that we will tell them what they need to know. And so if we can kind of find that line between I am not ever trying to hurt you. Like this is not my goal. It's not not the mission here. The mission is to make us well you said before to mold us together and have the stronger team. That's the mission. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. we need to find ways to communicate that in a way that's effective for people. That's the and that's the art of it. That is really the art of it. And I don't have the art down completely. <laughs> and my role is different where I am now in that I'm not managing and, you know, sort of the, the old fogey, but, you know, we always do it this way, which is not necessarily the truth, but that's how sometimes they see things when I go to say, well, we need to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, well, we've just always done it this way for so long. Well, that's because it works. But people don't, I mean, they don't always want to hear that. But <laughs> that's where I got into trouble with my honesty is that I actually was honest about something that. I needed to have couched a little bit more and it changed my job. So, yeah. And that's a tricky spot. That's my honesty to a fault. (laughs) Ask me a direct question. You're going to get a direct, honest answer. And that's where I got into a little bit of a, I don't feel bad about what I did other than it was just too honest. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think, I think, it's really easy for us to overuse our strengths. And I think knowing what our strengths are is really valuable. I use an assessment tool with lots of my clients and I can put a link to that in the show notes where, where you can look at a list of 24 strengths that will be sorted for you in the order of your, of your own personal thing. But, but with any strength, it can be this awesome, empowering thing that makes you wonderful and it can be overused. And when it's overused, then it turns into too much. And that's definitely the case with honesty. It can it can create this sort of, you know, bluntness or alienation from people at times. So you said, and I agree, that, you know, not perfect at this, and there's this whole learning curve related to it. Can you think of a person in your life who you think really has sort of found a lovely balance between having a great level of honesty and also uh, managing that on the social side? Yes. One of my best friends, who is also one of the vets that I work with, and I've known her since she was in vet school, she has amazing tech about when to be honest and when to let things roll and just develop, where I tend to intercede. And so I think she has a really good balance and she's uh, involved in a lot of vet boards. She's involved in a lot of different veterinary things. She's not a practice owner, but she's sort of an independent contractor at several places. And and she knows how to make that all work. And we're not, we're not really alike, but she's one of my most favorite people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's developed over years. She will tell you when she first worked in the practice that, that she worked for us at, for me at, I used to make her cry <laughs> <laughs> because she would, you know, I was critical of her because she was a new graduate and, mm-hmm. you know, I was again, the old fogey, and this was a long time ago, so I'm pretty old now, but, um, 
you know, that I was, she was critical, I was critical enough of her that it really did hurt her on a personal basis. And she'll tell people that all the time now, you know, oh, mm-hmm. Sharon used to make me cry. She can't make me cry anymore. And that was, I didn't realize that until she told me that, which was several years later. And another good friend of mine, who's also a veterinarian and is a practice owner now, who <laughs> her claim to fame is, I never made her cry. <laughs> <laughs> But she's a very loud Italian and uh, is louder than I am. So, you know, so those two people who are very good friends and I really admire professionally, one as a practice owner, but I think she has a bang up practice. This other vet actually works for her. They have a great team that she can be a little loud at times, but she's not, she manages those things well. And then my friend Bridget, has really learned the art of tact when it mm-hmm. comes to her with people with people in general in either a committee setting or in a practice setting or in this this low cost spay and neuter group that she works with or even with the she goes on some of that you know spay and neuter things around the world and so there's a whole thing that she really is good at um and i and en- i envy her for that uh, i live vicariously through her because she gets to travel and i don't but that's, <laughs> that's our life <laughs> anyway so those two people are really standout people in in my life that and they both work for me um mm-hmm. the practice that i manage uh, one I used to make cry, the other one claimed to fame is I didn't make her cry, but where they they do balance things out. They do manage that balance better than I do, which is good. It is good because it's it's a learning skill. And I think yeah. it's nice too that your friend Bridget, who has the amazing tact, did share with you later that you regularly made her cry. Like that level of of trust and honesty probably opened your eyes to some things that you weren't really seeing. Oh yeah. Yes, definitely. Then I found out I made the whole staff cry. So that really, (laughs) and and again, part of it is just that I'm at that point. And this was 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago was too honest to a fault. And they were taking it personally where again, it wasn't personal, but Mm -hmm. I think I'm better about that now. So I think that's a challenge with lots of people in in the pet professions, that we often see pretty clearly what needs to be done and sometimes just say it. Like, here's what you need to do. Here's here's how it has to be. And that people aren't always prepared to hear it without the level of tact that can make it more palatable. And so honesty without tact is a challenge. So what do you think we could do to become better at having tact? I think listening more helps and reading, and I'm really pretty good at body language, but reading body language when you go into something, if if someone is already a little on the defensive or withdrawn side, they're going to take it much differently than someone who is more relaxed either with themselves or with the situation. Yes. And I think that not enough people pay attention to body language with things. I th- I think so too. 
and and the listening there are some really important listening skills in there too of of what's being said and what's not being said that may or may not be body language um in those moments they could be other right. things um, and learning about how people make eye contact i mean mm-hmm. i'm a very direct eye contact person and some people are very threatened by that yes at the same time if they never look at you then tells you that they're already worried, kind of like yes. those dogs that don't want to look at you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already on the edge. So, you know, being aware of that. I was recently at a meeting with the, this is a true confession thing, recently at a meeting with my boss and the supervisor at the low-cost bay and neuter group because one of the veterinarians and I had a little spit about something. and. It, she felt like I was not respectful of her. And I have to say that, uh, that the owner who's a veterinarian and the supervisor who's a veterinarian, they were very good at working us through so she could understand I am respectful. I just, I'm going to ask some questions about stuff I've never seen before because I've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the conversation, it was really, I felt very comfortable the other two people felt very comfortable, but the veterinarian that we were having this conference with, she had really shut down. And we talked about that later. And I've talked about it with her since. And she said she had just mentally had enough. Mm-hmm. And watching her body language versus the body language of the other three of us, we're not, we were not adversarial in only way, but we are way more comfortable and she was way more withdrawn. And she really wouldn't make eye contact. You know, she had really just hit the point where she had to shut down and she wasn't capable of seeing that. And she's a brilliant woman. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's a good veterinarian, but she just had had enough and didn't know how to say, I've had enough of this. Let me digest it. Mm -hmm. So it was hard. It was very hard for her. And, And she and I have talked since and things are better. But anyway, that's a little story on that line about body language. Yes. And I'm glad things are better now and that you've been able to have subsequent conversations because sometimes people sort of do dive into the, well, we're going to talk all of this out right now. And that works for some people and for other people, they need some time to digest and to think and to decide. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with her is you, you could, I was sitting across from her and I could just watch her, shut down, withdraw, cross her arms, you know, and, you know, I blah, 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 blah. She just needed to digest it. And once she did, things were better. But that was four days later that we had to work together. And she said, you know, I'd really had enough. And I I had to just keep my mouth shut because anything I said was going to trigger her again. Right. To be defensive. And that was not the, the point. We need to work together. We don't have to be best friends, but we need to work together. We need to work as a team. I think we can do that. And I've told her that. So, mm-hmm. But for me to keep my mouth shut is sometimes hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so given that you say this is sort of a lifelong journey here for you, what, what are the things that do help you hold, hold back the thoughts when you're eager to let them out? 
watching people. I mean, watching how they're reacting to it, you know, even just color in their cheeks, you mm-hmm. know, where they're, how they're staying. I mean, I'm really into body language anymore. And that is really key for me and, and eye contact. And I know I'm a real direct eye contact person. So I will have to sometimes not look at people so much so that they have an opportunity to say what they need to. Right. Um, and sometimes I just have to sit on my hands mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. say anything. And sometimes that's very hard. Um, but I see benefits in it when I do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people realize things all on their very own without my help. Shocking. <laughs> <I keep> them <laughs> yes. <laughs> How could that be? <laughs> it is interesting what you just said about avoiding eye contact so that someone else can say what they need to say. I think that's a very true piece that a lot of people don't think about and incorporate. And it can be a really valuable tool for a situation where someone is feeling sort of like it's not safe to speak their truth and to, to share their, their thoughts, um, that we can make them feel more comfortable by, by taking a little social pressure off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, go, I do so much stuff with dogs with behavioral issues. It's really taught me a lot more about humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> really a lot over the years. And in the behavioral counseling that I do for people, you know, people will call me with a dog they've got from the shelter and gosh, it's not perfect after three weeks. And, you know, or they had the dog for the year and a half and, you know, they haven't done squat with it. And my goal with that is for them to succeed with their pet and to keep the pet in their home. So if I'm really direct with them and tell them, well, you guys are really not helped your dog, that's not going to get them anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn how to tone things to make it people-friendly. I mean, I can manage the dogs. It's Mm -hmm. the people that I've had to learn to to manage. And I think I'm pretty honest with them, but I've, I've really toned it down so that they feel that they can really talk about what their problems are with it rather than just complain about how the dog doesn't do this or their other dog did this or whatever. Um, And that's, that's been very good for me to learn to listen to people and then just be, have lots of ideas for them without saying, well, you're not helping your dog here, you know? Right. Hang on. Speaking speaking of dogs. (laughs) Stop. <laughs> so anyway, that's where body language is important with that too. I mean, people want me to come into their home and to help them and I have to be relaxed so that they'll relax because so many times they're tense and they feel bad that their dog isn't doing as well as they want and they feel guilty already. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's entirely true. I I agree with you that the more you know about training dogs, the more you learn about people. It's it just there's this complete meld. You know, the more you really understand behavior, it all fits together. And if we want behavior to change, creating safety is is our, mm-hmm. our primary goal. And honesty can be a boon to safety and it can be a threat to safety depending right. on exactly. how we say what we say. Exactly. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think your point, too, about that 
you can really set them up to share their concerns so that they don't feel judged and they can tell you all of the things they're worrying about about this dog. Once they've gotten that out, once they've been able to articulate sometimes even things that they haven't been willing to say to each other, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I want to keep this dog. And then the other person looks at them like, you know, but they said it to the dog trainer. So there was, we create this environment. Then they really can hear the ideas in a different way because we've sort of created a space for them to share their truth, whatever their truth is. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. And, you know, they, and Sometimes they realize it's more work than they're willing to do, but until they're able to open up about some of that, you don't really get where all the problems are. Like you said, one person wants to keep the dog, the other one doesn't. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's really important to know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that does come out or, you know, they're comparing it to their last one is comparing it to the last dog where the other one is seeing that this is a different dog. So. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the art of listening, which I think I'm a good listener most of the time, but I'm always learning about that. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think professionals often aren't as good at listening as they would like to be because we do kind of go in to solve the problem and we can so quickly spot the problem, you know, that we sometimes shortchange the client in their experience of sharing their thoughts about the problem. We're like, yeah, yeah, I see it. I got it. We're fine. Here we go. Here's the plan. (laughs) And uh, that doesn't help us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I like about, really like about private practice is that you do learn a lot from clients and you learn about hidden agendas from clients if you're open to the listening part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff I don't get in the spay and neuter group that I work with, but in all the years of practice, I, you know, if you let the clients talk and you sort of keep them on track, Mm -hmm. you know, you can learn way more information than you probably ever want to know about their life, but there's something key in that, Yes, you know, why they're really there and sort of getting them to open up to that and be open to hearing that is, is some things that not everybody can do. Um, we have a bunch of assistants now that, you know, they're on task. They're doing what the doctor wanted and they don't know the art of history taking to know that there's something else going on. And, and certainly I'm not perfect by any means with that, but I think that's a, become more of a lost art in a lot of practices of the art of of listening to clients and not necessarily just being on task. Right, right. How do you think we could add more of that in? Oh, well, we actually have a punch list that we use in our our office calls, in our going into the office. And one of them would be, and I do this with all the behavior stuff, have there been any changes in the household? Mm -hmm. Which can take you on different tangents, but sometimes that's what Mm-hmm. You need to hear yes. because, you know, the animal is affected by it. Yeah. But that, to me, that's the number one question. Have there been any changes in the household? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had to pick one thing, that would be what I would would add to the punch list that you use when you go into an exam room. Yeah, I think I think that's a very good one. Back to the whole concept of honesty. I think that once we've created this space where people can share their thoughts and their their truth, 
I think mm-hmm. there's also a tremendous value in being sort of a plain talker about what to expect coming ahead. Like I've always told clients, like I'm going to tell you, you know, the good and the bad of this. Like, here's the good part. This is totally trainable. Here's the bad part. It's not going to be done next week. You know, right. this is going to take right. some time and effort. And this is the time and effort and and stuff that you're going to need to do so that you can go into it eyes open. And yeah. I think, well, I mean, maybe it's just because it's my trait, but I think that's a benefit. <laughs> so I always tell people like, you know, if if you want to know, I, I, I'll tell you anything. But you kind of have to develop that safe conversation space to be able to do that. So what does it really look like? How am I going to change this behavior or, you know, treat this disease, whatever the case may be to, to really hear things with a, with a reality filter on, as opposed to, well, here are all the things we could do without necessarily weighing them in any way. Not that I'm saying that right. we tell people what to do, but I, I do want people to go into all situations with their eyes open. And I think that's yeah. a piece of honesty. Yes. And I, I mean, with the behavior stuff, I always tell people, this is your work to do. The dog doesn't know any different, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that often comes after they sort of opened up about what all the, all the issues are. And some people aren't willing to do the work. You know, mm-hmm. but the honest part is, is it is their work to do and, and give them lots of ideas and couch it so that they can get it. But some people, you know, they need somebody to tell them it's their work to do, but some people are not going to do that. Right. I like, I like that phrasing. This is your work to do. The dog doesn't know any different. I think that we can use that with people too from the perspective Mm -hmm. of we often talk about what they should do or how they should behave or if only they would be different and if we can come at it from this angle of well they aren't going to change I can change me so this is my work to do the other person doesn't know any different that's their behavior pattern they don't they don't know another way yes I wholeheartedly agree with that because we don't know all what their backgrounds were and you can teach old dogs new tricks. It's just a little harder because <laughs> mm-hmm. they have to be willing to open, to be open to make that change. And that, and we can't change them. But if we change what we do, it changes them, which is, which is dog training. That's dog training. Yeah. See, yeah. You know, like I always say, Let's like. just go back to dog training. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. is. It's easier to talk about than humans sometimes. So. Well. Yes. It's all involving humans. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a session tomorrow in a high school. I'm supposed to be talking about leadership. And one of the points I intend to make tomorrow is that dog training is a lot about changing human behavior. Because mm-hmm. when I walk out the door, nothing has changed for that dog unless the people have changed. So right. the right. whole idea of, you know, you tell the dog what to do and the dog does it really isn't good training. Good training is you motivate the people to understand the behavior changes that they can do that make it more likely that their dog is going to do the thing we want the dog to do. Magic. Right. But it's not about walking in and saying, well, you're screwing that up. Well, this is, right. All, right, this right. is all you. You've done this problem. You created this, which 
I've heard a fair number of clients tell me horror stories about things other trainers have said to them in the past. <laughs> and I think, well, that might have felt honest to the trainer, but perhaps yeah. was not the way to go. All right. And that, that's the trainer's issue, not, but you don't need to share that with your client. Yeah. So, so that's a case yeah. of overusing your strength in that case. Yes. Excessive yeah. honesty becomes righteousness. I know the way. Right. And this is it. Yes. Uh, Yes, and some people are so good with dogs that they really don't get the tact about how to do it with people, and it's really about the people. It is. It is. Unless you're training a dog that's going to be the dog, you know, that you're going to be working with, you know, your, your, you know, drug-sniffing dog that you're the handler for. But if your client is actually a human who lives with a dog and you're not going to live there too, it's about training people. So from the perspective of looking at, teams and you're working with multiple colleagues and we all want to work together how can we have honesty as a as a team value something that we all care about and promote in a way that's still supportive and kind that's a really good question i think that it goes back to when you first if you're the person doing the hiring the insights that you have about that person. And if your insights aren't good about their values, it does create a harder situation to bring out those values. Doesn't mean they can't be, but it's it's much harder work from the manager's standpoint to get that person to that same level as other people that you feel comfortable with their not disposition, but behaviors. The team, I mean, I worked in a practice where there were six or seven of us and we worked together for 20 years, close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we built that team. Some of them, when they came on, were right out of college. Some of them were right out of high school. And we led by example, and that helped create the same, the group of people that we all became as a, as a real team. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard now because I don't work in that same team setting and I know it could be better. And I, I, it's not my role and I, to create that, but I know that we led by example. We were all in it for the same goals from the get-go. And we created a, a team that people still talk about in mm-hmm. the veterinary world here in our little town. But I would have to say that leading by example was really key. So if you're not a team leader, if you're just a member of the team, would you still advise to lead by example? To, you know, just show up the way you'd like the team to be? Or are there other strategies that you think could be beneficial to a person to affect the culture? I think showing interest in wanting to learn more and be part of that makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. When you ha- which goes back to people personalities. You know, are you really truly an introvert or an extrovert? You know, I'm sort of one of those mixed bag people. But if if it's truly, if you're really truly an introvert, it's harder for that person to come out and say, "I would really like to do this." And that's where I think it's the team leader's job to help 
develop that. But I think showing showing interest in any way, shape, or form is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and being open to new ways or ways to do things, not necessarily even new ways. And I I think that people need. I'm a big time people sharer. I mean, people know. I don't have any. I don't have any hidden ghosts that people need to know about, and not everybody is that way. But I think that helps to be able to share parts of you outside of work. I mean, like I have a sheep farm, and I, you know, do a lot of stuff with that, and I do all this dog training stuff, and people know all that about me. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't have a hidden agenda there. And they can see that because I'm willing to share those things. And I know that's hard for some people to do. Um, but I will say that in that team group that we had, we're 15, 20 years later, still all good friends. And, all, yeah. and that to me is incredibly important to have that kind of a bond with someone. Yeah, I agree. It does. It does. I think showing up as your whole self, that is a struggle that I've heard from so many pet professionals is that they feel like there's a piece of themselves they need to leave at home that might not be appropriate or welcome in the work environment. And and if we can find our right fits and find, you know, find the right teams for us, it can really make a big difference. And, And some of that is honesty, just living your truth, however that looks to you and just being being yourself coming across that way this has been a really interesting conversation about honesty sharon i I appreciate you (laughs) coming on today so if people wanted to learn more about you and all the million different things you do where could they go to get more information well the best place to contact me is through facebook at hum hollow farm because i do respond to that that's where i do my hurting stuff and that's where i post things out about that Awesome. Which really plays into social media. I know that, but <laughs> that's easy for that's easy for me. That's awesome. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And I really appreciate you coming on today to talk with me today. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. So I hope that conversation with Sharon Garland gave you some food for thought. It sure got me thinking. Is honesty an easy skill for you? Do you have a history? of being punished for sharing your thoughts? Are you hesitant to speak up for fear of hurting someone's feelings or making waves? If you'd like to give honesty some deeper thought, you can download a worksheet on how to have difficult conversations to say what you need to say at colleenpilar.com slash 41. See you next week.